sometimes that we have stairs there now. I don't have to use the side entrance. I can, I can come in the main, the main entrance, so to speak. Not used to that. Good morning again, everyone. Oh, man. Uh, you'll, you'll figure out why I'm excited here in a minute. But I'm excited because I'm always excited because that's just life. Life is exciting. If you can't enjoy the moment that we're in, oh, wow. I know there's difficulties going on all around us. I, I'm, one of the ones I wanted to point out specifically, I wanted to wait till this moment to do it. One of our own um, families, um, if you know Beth and Ben Folks, um, longtime attenders of here. I'm pretty sure Ben's family uh, went here for a long time as well. Um, they have a young daughter, uh, right around two or so. Uh, this last week, beginning of the week, his wife, um, Beth, um, had not sure exactly. They don't know exactly what happened. They think maybe it was an asthma attack or something, but uh, she lost consciousness and did not have oxygen for a long time um, and succumbed to that on Thursday. And so Ben is now left with uh, his daughter, obviously some family support and things like that. But uh, this family is, is going to have to rise up and do some incredible things uh, to help him, uh, to help raise that child as well in this world. And so watch for those opportunities. Uh, there was something posted on Facebook this week. Uh, we will get out more information this week. I, I talked to Ben at the end of the last week as well. So, so just watch out for that um, incredible opportunity for us to minister and to help that family in need because we love them. Um, and we want to do whatever we can. There may be rides. There may be all kinds of things that, that we can provide uh, to help them out. So we just wanted to make you aware of that. Um, services are on Tuesday. Um, I, didn't, I saw two to four, so I don't know if that was just visitation. I haven't got the, the final on all of that information yet. But we'll email that out on Monday to, to all of you that are on the email list. So, so just know um, that uh, that's there. I want to take a moment, and I just want to pray specifically for that situation, and then we'll get to God's word. Father God, um, you know all the details. You know everything surrounding this, uh, the who's, the what's, and, and even, honestly, the why. And I know that's the question that many people are asking. And Father, we may or may not ever be able to determine that. That's not for us to determine. Father, what we are to do is to be your hands, be your feet, and show this young family your love in whatever way possible. Such tremendous opportunity to reach out and remind them, even in this difficult moment, of your love for them as we help in whatever way is necessary, Father. I know there are people in the room that have dealt with things like this, have been through these kinds of tragedies, and that is truly what they are. So allow us the opportunities to minister to them, to love them with your love, and Father, to help them through this, this difficult time. Starting now, and Father, there really isn't an end to when the help will be needed. And so, Father, just allow this to be there for them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I mentioned at the beginning that I do want to thank you. Uh, last week was incredible. Resurrection Sunday is such an important moment. It's such a precious moment in the life of the church every year. And, and it's just one of those moments where we get to, to kind of imagine the disbelief Imagine the enjoyment, the joy that they discovered when they found out that Jesus, their Savior, had in fact risen, just as he had promised he would. And then to see those men and those women devote the rest of their lives to his teachings and telling anyone who would listen this information. And then to take it a step further and to understand that these men and these women were so devoted to their willingness to share the gospel truth of Jesus Christ that for many, many, many of them, it ultimately led to their own life being lost because they were willing to share their faith 
And the most impressive part of that was because they didn't do it for some sort of personal gain. They sold their life literally for something they knew to be true, not so they could gain anything, but in hopes that someone who heard them might learn to love and trust Jesus and receive that same gift of grace, of forgiveness, and eternal life that they had received. It's an incredible thought to think. Now, each week as we gather as a body of Christ, we get to celebrate that same victory. As I alluded to last week, when we read these texts, when we study his word, when we spend time in those prayers, do our hearts burn within us because we're celebrating the same thing that those individuals were. We celebrate the victory over sin and death. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have declared your love for him, then we should daily be celebrating the victory that God has given us over sin, over guilt, over shame. We should daily celebrate the hope that we have because there's not a lot of hope in this world apart from Christ. He's it. We should be celebrating that hope in Jesus' name alone. We should daily be praising him for his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness in our life. It's incredible. And today is a day where we get to gather and we get to celebrate. We get to build community. We get to provide for one another. We get to love and serve and give to one another. We get to love and be loved. And that is what we call church. That's who we get to be. It's a privilege. It's an honor to get to do that. You know, I was thinking as I wrote this a few weeks ago, other than the knowledge, if you, are, if you are saved, if you are in Christ, other than the knowledge that we have as believers, that one day we will be with our creator, with our savior forever when our time on earth is done, maybe one of the greatest things that you and I have is actually this moment. Regardless of what you might be going through, it might be hard to see that this moment is a, a precious gift from God, but it absolutely is because the next moment is not guaranteed. He's only given us this moment to praise him. He's only given us this moment to cry out to him, this moment to repent to him, this moment to ask for strength, for healing, for courage, this moment to come to him, maybe for the very first time. And to place our faith and our hope and our trust in the God who created us. To turn from the lies of this world and believe in the truth that is found only in Jesus. That is why we are studying together his words, his teachings, the truth that with, uh, is within them. How they applied to those who originally heard them. And then how this same application is useful to us today. There's a lot of people out there will find all these new applications, these new meanings behind scripture. I've got some bad news for you. It can never ever mean more than what it meant when it was originally said. We can't add meaning to it. Jesus said what he meant. He meant what he said. How does it apply? to us today? That's the question we get to ask every time we study. And if you allow these teachings, they are timeless. If you allow these teachings, they will guide you along this path called life and allow us to become more and more and more like our Jesus. And through our life, God will then draw people to himself Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost that we'll get to in a little while, Luke 19, 10. Jesus' mission to do that is now our mission. Our mission to snatch those around us from the fires of hell, as Jude 23 tells us to do. Because that's what's awaiting them, 
if they remain apart from Christ when their time on this earth is done. I'm excited. I'm fired up about getting back into these teachings. So turn with me to Luke chapter 9, verse 51. This is where I told you we would resume a long time ago when we deviated for Easter. Luke 9, 51. We're studying the teachings of Jesus as they occurred. Now we get to do so through the light, if you will, of the resurrection. For the last two years plus, now Jesus has been traveling around with 12 disciples and then an unknown number of other apostles and disciples and, and people just following him. Men and wither, women who were committed to following him wherever he went and learning from him, following his teachings the best they could. And Jesus has been to countless cities. He's performed more miracles than could have possibly have been recorded according to the book of John, chapter 21, verse 25. And he's continued to teaching, teaching to everyone who might possibly listen He's continued to upset the establishment, the, the religious leaders, because his ways are not their ways, even though their teachings are actually the same. But it's at this point in the text where Luke changes the whole rest of his writings, and he's the only one that makes this kind of transition in his writings. Remember, he wanted an orderly account. So in verse 51, he says this, As the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely sets his face toward Jerusalem, depending on the translation you're reading. This is a defining moment now in Jesus' ministry. The focus seems to have changed from what seemed like random wandering from town to town, focused on healing and teaching, driven this mission. Everything has now changed to this absolutely purpose-driven mission to get to Jerusalem, to fulfill his purpose now as the Savior of the world. He will not be stopped. He expertly planned out every single step of the way of this mission. Why? Well, there's many people out there now who would like to destroy Jesus, even kill him. And he knew that he must die in a very specific way. He must die at a very specific time, and he must die at the hands of very specific people. If anything else happened to him, then he would not be fulfilling all of those ancient prophecies. He would prove not to be the Messiah, so he had to protect himself as he journeyed, as he traveled, from anything else happening so he could allow things to happen as they would when he got to Jerusalem. He couldn't control those instances. He couldn't control those trials. That wasn't it. He just had to arrive on time for all of those things. If you're a follower of Jesus or not, that doesn't matter in this moment for this question. Have you ever resolutely set out to accomplish something, to do something? That word resolute, we don't use it anymore. As I was reading through this text and my wife heard this, she heard that word and she's only familiar with it from a movie where they talk about the resolute desk. Do you know what movie I'm talking about? Anyway, some of you do. Okay, so yes, that, that's like the only time you ever heard that word, the resolute. Have you ever resolutely, absolutely, I'm going to accomplish this task, this goal, this thing. What was it? Was it a goal to accomplish? Maybe. Maybe it's to put Jesus as the number one spot in your life. I don't know. Maybe it's to devote yourself fully to him. Maybe it's to love your wife or love your husband through all circumstances. No matter what, you absolutely are going to do that. Maybe it's to care for and protect and raise up your family in the ways of God in a world that will fight you at every turn. Maybe it's to work daily as if working for the Lord, as Scripture calls us to do. Most of us, if we've got enough life experience, realize that none of those things will happen by accident. 
You have to intentionally accomplish these goals. You got to attack them. And here's the beautiful thing. We have a perfect model in our Jesus of how to resolutely set our faces, our lives toward something. Verse 52. And he, Jesus, sent messengers on ahead who went into the Samaritan villages to get things ready for him. But 53, the people there did not welcome him because he was headed for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And he said to he and his disciples, and they went to another village. For some reason, this particular Samaritan village would not receive Jesus. We don't know the whys. There's lots of theories out there. Why did Jesus ask them to go to that village? He knew that was going to happen. He knew they would be rejected. Why did he send the disciples to go and inquire of those people, knowing the response they would receive? Well, remember this. Jesus is always teaching He's always challenging those around him to learn and to grow. And here was a moment. He was always giving the disciples opportunities to put into action what he had demonstrated for them. So how did they do? Well, I think we can evaluate how they did. And I think we could probably say comfortably their trip did not go well. They came back and they asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, would you like to call down fire from heaven here and just wipe these people off the face of the earth? This should destroy the village. A lot like the ancient prophet Elijah, if you're familiar with that scene on the Mount Carmel where he calls down fire from heaven, 2 Kings chapter 1. Let's look at what Jesus had told them to do. If this happened, then Jesus had already given them a formula. Here's how we react. Luke 9 verse 5. If people do not welcome you, leave their town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. I mean, that's about the same thing, right? Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, or wipe their existence off the face of the earth. I think James and John are really grasping the teachings of Jesus. Are they not? Yeah. So they head off to the next town, and there they are. Something else happens, something unique happens. On the way to that next town, Jesus is peppered with some questions. He actually asked one of his own as well. Verse 57, as they are walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And Jesus replies, "Mm, okay, well, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Verse 59, Jesus said then to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Verse 60, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go. And proclaim the kingdom of God, verse 61. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. (laughs) Why did Luke include these three tiny little short stories with absolutely no resolution to any of them? It's an interesting question. Remember, Luke wants the reader to be certain. He wants us to be certain of what we believe. So he included these three short stories to remind us that there is a cost to following Jesus. There is a cost to discipleship. There is a cost to committing your life to Jesus. Now, that cost, far outgained by the reward that we receive, not just in eternity, but even the rewards we receive here on this earth. But we've got to consider it. We've got to consider the cost. The first man made a bold statement. 
He likely assumed that following Jesus would have been like following any other rabbi of his day. You simply followed around and submitted to the teachings and, and maybe some of the requests of that rabbi. Not quite the same as Jesus asked for you to leave everything behind and come and follow me wherever I might go. And then Jesus even advises the man, hey, by the way, you're probably going to be homeless if you follow me. Now, that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing to consider for that man. And we don't know anything beyond that moment. The second one, Jesus flips the script and he actually does the asking. In this case, he asks someone to follow him. But the man has a seemingly great excuse not to. Hey, burying your family in the Jewish faith is a huge, important responsibility. He couldn't turn his back on that. So surely Jesus wasn't asking this man to abandon that responsibility, his actual family duty, was he? Hmm? Jesus is making a bold statement that one's commitment to him, to the kingdom of God, must take priority over everything else. And he said, simply asking the man, are you willing, if necessary, to leave everything behind? Jesus proved over the course of his ministry, a lot of people look at these texts and say, wow, Jesus was cruel, heartless. No. Now, if you look at Jesus' example over the course of his ministry, he proved that he has great concern for the family and for the family of the people following him. He was compassionate toward those families. There's even the scene where he goes to Peter's home off the beaten path to go and heal his mother-in-law. Jesus was compassionate. He was not being heartless. He's just asking the man to consider his priorities in the moment. If you want to be my disciple, okay, are you willing to put me above everything else? Church, our commitment to Jesus is not a part-time job. It is to define who we are. As a matter of fact, it is not a job at all. It is a life to live. The third potential disciple offers to follow, but he wants to go back and say goodbye to his family. Now, that does not seem like an unreasonable request. It would be nice for your family to know where you have left and gone off to, right? So in order to understand Jesus' response, you've got to turn back to the Old Testament because this exact illustration comes from the calling of the great prophet Elisha. The Jewish man that Jesus would have been talking to in this scene would have completely understood what Jesus was saying. Elisha was a very, very famous person, prophet within the Jewish faith. Elisha's example is powerful. Here's what had happened. The great prophet, the greatest prophet until Jesus, Elijah, had come and been sent by God to Elisha to find his replacement. And this is how Elisha responds. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So Elijah went from there, found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Now, for anyone under the age of probably 40, when you see that word, do you see Snapchat? Because I do every <laughs> single time. Does it not? I mean, that, every time I read that, I actually see the word Snapchat, but that's just me. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him. He threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left the oxen, ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you. Now, Elijah's response is interesting. We're not going to get into much of that. So Elijah left him. He went back. He took his yoke of oxen. He slaughtered them. He burned the plow equipment to cook the meat, gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. 
So here's what happens. Elijah goes to Elisha. He throws his coat around him, symbolically passing the baton. This incredible authority and power he has been given as the greatest prophet ever in all of Israel to Elisha, who then goes on and performs even more miracles than Elijah ever did. Elisha has one reasonable request to return home and kiss his father and mother goodbye. It doesn't appear that Elijah was all that excited about him going and doing that, but Elijah permits him to go back. But look what Elisha does. He takes his entire former way of life and he burns it up or eats it. Think about that. He destroys it. There is no turning back for Elisha. Even if he wanted to leave and go back home to return to his old way of life, he couldn't. It was gone. That is devotion. As the old hymn goes, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Jesus calls us to do the same thing today. Now, hear this clearly. I don't think Jesus is asking you to go and burn down your former place of employment. That's called arson, and you go to prison. Do not take this out of context, okay? Please. But he does ask us to leave our old selves completely behind, leave our sin, our guilt, our bitterness, our anger, our shame behind. He destroyed all of it on the cross. It is buried. It is gone. But we humans have a way of finding a shovel and digging those things back up and carrying it around with us. And he never asks us to do that. Leave it behind. If today is the first day you've ever encountered this truth of Jesus, then know this. This is what he wants to take from you. Give it to him. Leave it behind. It's yours to bear no longer. The excitement to serve God, the devotion to his calling that Elisha demonstrated in this moment is what God is seeking from each one of us as well. <laughs> then Luke makes one of his famous transitions from this incredible odd moment walking down the road talking to these people to now this story that only he shares. He's the only one in all of the Gospels the first thing that a reader might notice, especially if they're new to the life of Jesus, is that there are more than 12 people following Jesus. Now, I had the blessing of growing up in the church and hearing those kids' stories and learning them. And I honestly, as a kid, thought there were only 12 people that followed Jesus. Because that's all you ever talk about are these disciples that would follow Jesus from place to place. In this moment, it says that Jesus sent out 72 Disciples. Wait, there's only 12. How's that possible? And it's really strange to think that there would only have been 72 people even following Jesus. But somehow these 72 had been selected, set apart for this task. Earlier, Jesus had sent out the 12. We talked about that several weeks ago to go and preach and to heal. Now he's sending out 72 people to do the same thing, to go ahead of him and prepare the way in which he would be traveling for his arrival in essence, they were going and they were preparing the hearts and minds of the people along the path to Jerusalem for the moment when Jesus in person would arrive and teach and they would be ready to hear. Chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord 
appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone along the road. Now, to start with this first part, these words could not be any truer today. That harvest is no less ripe today than it was in this moment. People everywhere are desperately searching for truth. Everywhere around us, people are hurting. Everywhere, people are falling for the lies of this world. And you and I hold the key to the truth. And God wants to send us out from here today, out to the fields to prepare the way for him to come into their lives. And as they come to him, then guess what? There's even more workers to go and harvest the incredible crop that lies before us. The fields will always be full of those in need of the healing and salvation and hope of Jesus. But I love that Jesus is real in his description. He doesn't sugarcoat things. He tells this group of 72 straight up, this is how it's going to go down. This is not going to be easy. I'm sending you out into a world filled with people that want to destroy you, just so you know. You've got to trust in me. You've got to trust in me actually for your protection. But beyond that, honestly, leave everything here. I want you to trust that I will provide everything that you need. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Say, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and they are not and they are, and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, "Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this: the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for you in that town. Woe to you, Corazon! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Ah, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No. No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me also rejects the one who sent me. Jesus gives this group of 72, before they depart, some incredible advice and some serious comfort about their success or failure in this next arena. When you find someone that's willing to listen and bring you in and shelter you there and feed you, stay there. Don't look for the next best opportunity. Don't meet somebody like, well, I'd like to stay at their house. That's way nicer. Stay there. I will bless those that take you in. But if the people of that town reject you, it's not on you. It's not on you. It's not your fault. They're rejecting me and ultimately the one who sent me. As you and I share our faith with people, we're going to be rejected. It's going to happen. That's okay. That's okay. It doesn't mean you've failed. And it also doesn't mean that we should stop trying and stop praying for God to reach that particular person. Jesus gives us these words to encourage us in this matter, to stay strong, to keep going. And ultimately, if they reject him, there's nothing more we can do. That's between them and their God. 
We just don't want them to face that without Jesus in the middle. Verse 17, the 72 then returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Now, me personally, I so wish Luke had gotten more stories of what had happened while they were out and about. What lives were changed? What kind of obstacles did they overcome to speak these words? We don't know. That's not for us to know. Here's what we do know. Remember, Luke's focus here is for us to be certain of what we believe. So Jesus tells us he sent them out, and then they came back, and they reported success in the name of Jesus, and that's all that matters. Verse 18, he, Jesus, replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, some people interpret that as being when Satan fell from heaven. No, no, no. This is Satan being defeated in every one of those instances where they came in, and they cast out demons, and they healed. And Jesus literally was able to see Satan be defeated in every single one of those moments, just as he sees Satan being defeated every single moment in this world today. I've given you authority to trample snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That is what it's important. Not what you can do in my name. No, no, no. But that you are in my name. That's what matters most. Jesus is thrilled. He is excited about their success. Did you realize he cares that much about you today too? When you and I share his love with other people, when we bring his love to people, when we bring things to those who are hurting, those that are in need, when we help to free those from addiction, when we help those that are struggling with forgiveness, when we share him with those that are depressed or suffering with anxiety or are caught in a life of sin, when we do that, he sees Satan being defeated yet again and he still rejoices because he alone can heal them. And that is the power that Jesus gave those 72 when he sent them out in his name. Did you know he offers that same power to you today? (laughs) Now it's in him through his spirit who is in you. You and can go out and do even greater things, he says, in his name. In verse 21, at that time, full of joy. I mean... That isn't described very often of Jesus. He is so overjoyed about these people who went out and listened and obeyed and did what they were supposed to do and what they're sharing with him. He is overjoyed, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. And he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom he chooses to reveal it. And then he does something kind of strange. He turns away from the 72 somehow, and he privately addresses the 12. Blessed are the eyes who see what you see, for I tell you, many prophets and kings wanted to see but didn't get to, and wanted to hear but didn't get to hear it. When these groups returned to Jesus, he couldn't be more excited about everything that happens. The hearts that had been prepared for his arrival into each and every one of these towns. He is praising God for all of those that have come to believe, for those that have gotten to see Jesus for who he truly is. 
And Jesus tells his 12 disciples privately how special this moment is by relating it to others in the Jewish history. Imagine how much Abraham wanted to see this plan fulfilled. Imagine Moses wanting, longing to see how the promise of God would be ultimately fulfilled through his son, Jesus. Imagine David's desire to meet with his Savior in person through the person of Jesus, not understanding what all that meant, but just imagine, we see it in his pen through the book of Psalms, how he longs to see and be a part of that. And here it is unfolding before the eyes of 12 common everyday people, 11 of which would soon be taking this message of Jesus to the entire known world. It's an incredible thing to think about, and it leaves us with just a couple simple things to ask this morning. First of all, what is God calling you to do? What is he calling you to do? It could be, first and foremost, to receive his son into your life. If you've never accepted the name of Jesus as your own personal Lord and Savior, you've never repented of your sins before him and offered your life to him in exchange for the free eternal life that he gives us, then that is what he's calling you to do. I'm telling you, that is it. Absolutely. Don't worry about any other question. Don't stew too much longer. This is the moment he's given you to do that receive him into your life. Maybe he's calling you to truly follow him. Maybe you've been in the church a long time. You got baptized many years ago. You're absolutely a believer, but are you willing to go back, take the plow, burn it up, slaughter the oxen, have a great feast, and move on with the rest of your life for him and his plan according to you? That's a hard question. It wasn't easy for anyone. But he asks us today, is he sending you out on his behalf? Are you a member of that 72 to go into the fields starting this afternoon and begin preparing the way for Jesus to enter into every one of those people's lives? Think of the impact he will have through you. Father God, your word is so incredible. And these instances that Luke records for us from so long ago are so relevant to this moment today. People in that day were searching. They were searching for a Messiah. They were searching for a Savior. They were searching to, to be free from the Roman Empire. Father, they didn't realize they should have been searching for you. You were right there in their midst. Today is no different. In today's world, people are searching. They're searching for help. They're searching for answers. They're searching for good health. They're searching for wealth and finances. They're searching for freedom from addictions, from, from sinful lifestyles. They're, they're searching, Father. And we're standing right before them. We're sitting right beside them at work. We're right in front of them in the line at Kroger. And we have the keys to the freedom, the hope, the truth that they're searching for. We hold that in our hands, in our minds, in our hearts. And if your spirit is within us, I pray that every moment we have where that situation occurs, that we are moved, just like these 72 were, sent out in your name, that we are moved to share your love with those people in whatever way you reveal is appropriate in that moment. There are so many ways that we can let other people know how much you care for them 
by our simple expressions of love and kindness, by our encouraging words, by our offer to pray for them, pray with them. We can see people in need. They're everywhere. Give us the strength and courage to take 